Oh, do stop whistling. He was slinging pawns at a B&B &B when he had an epiphany. And they complained about time too, about not playing the ND. It was free for all, and I heard him say, he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick, cause you're incapable AMs. Hello, Spencer. This is Merck the Meek again. I just was listening to the very beginning of your new episode, <laughs> and you mentioned how I'm putting you to shame. Uh, well, uh, I laughed out loud. Of course, that's not my goal. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, if it gets you to podcast some more, if you have the time and the motivation, or if this gives you more motivation, that's great. It's, uh, it's great to hear your voice again, and uh, take care. Hello and welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands, a podcast about RPGs and stuff. My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall, and opening the show there, we had a message from Merck the Meek, whose podcast I've been very much enjoying. And Merck, you have indeed been helping to motivate me. In fact, over on Merck's podcast, in response to a message I sent regarding my struggle with the frequency of my episodes and my desire to possibly venture into more short-form territory, Merck suggested I put out content between the more fleshed-out episodes as Balder Bits. Now, I really like this idea and was contemplating calling it Between Balders. But as much as I do like that idea... I'm also feeling some resistance to the possibility of effectively creating two types of episode. You know, the idea of numbering them differently, maybe, uh, putting them out on the same feed. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that I'm going to create a second feed. That's not what's going to happen. Because what I really love about podcasting is the variety that the format allows Unlike other media, the lack of necessity for any kind of consistency means there's so much that can be done with it. And I feel that over the evolution of my podcast, it's kind of organically settled into this particular shape. And I'm wondering if it's now becoming a little restrictive. And while I have no real desire to drastically shake things up or anything... I don't want to be beholden to this shape, this style, this format. Now, I don't really give a lot of thought to the format of the show, but I've kind of developed the intros and outros to make putting things together a little easier, and I feel that perhaps that's beginning to have the opposite effect. With the, the length of the intros and the outros, the episodes themselves have to be of a particular length and if I'm putting out something shorter then having kind of extended intros and outros seems less fitting and this is also the beauty and the value of hearing new voices and questioning the ways that we've settled into that I've settled into at least 
and it's good to be reminded of that of the of the possibilities of the medium not kind of putting these arbitrary restrictions and constraints on myself and and remembering that I can just put stuff out as and when and not worry about the formalities I've created so thank you for that message Merck what I think I may do is try to tighten things up a little in certain areas so as to be able to slack off in others let's see how it goes this was actually going to be a between borders episode but i got a couple more calls which i'll share with you in a moment so i'm sorry merc but you may have to wait a little bit longer for a between borders episode to appear but thank you for your message and prompting me to ponder such things who's next Spencer, it's Michael, Chicago is Dungeon Master's Handbook. Catching up on your latest episode, 231, and uh, you had the call-in from Carl about uh, our other game's OSR. You know, <laughs> 15 years later, and we're still talking about what's OSR. Um, but specifically, Travelers, so, so that's an interesting case so first off, my knowledge of Traveler is surface the further along you go uh, once you start getting into the Mongoose 1, Mongoose 2, uh, GURPS Traveler, and then Traveler 5e, which is the latest Traveler done by Mark Miller himself. Um, as opposed to Traveler as it was written in 1977. So Yes, a lot has changed, and no, not much has changed. Um, I would say that what has changed the most in Traveler is the breadth and depth of rules and setting information as opposed to the uh, original Traveler as written in 1977. Uh, the first Traveler fit into three little black books, uh, and, and Mark freely admits that he was inspired by the original Dungeons and Dragons, uh, three little brown books. Um, and you could run and still can run pretty much any science fiction setting you can imagine from just that set of rules there and a little bit of elbow grease from a willing uh, referee. As opposed to the fifth edition of Traveler, which is many, 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 many pages of rules and charts and tables and what have you, covering pretty much everything that Traveler has evolved with over the years. Um, and, and one of those things is the setting. So the setting of Traveler started off with kind of a nebulous implied setting slash a little bit of detail, very little bit of detail uh, in the books. But what Mark and the folks at Game Designers Workshop discovered soon on after publishing that in 77 was that gamers wanted more. They wanted more details. They wanted more settings. Uh, Mark and company being more gamers pictured that referees were going to pick up this book and run with it in their own vein. But they found that the more consumer-minded uh, gamers 
wanted that laid out for them, much like a board game. So, since <laughs> Mark and company were in the business to make money and stay in business, they gave the customers what they wanted, and thus we now have, you know, many years later, uh, quite a few rules and quite a bit of details on the settings to the point where people are as religious about Traveler and the Third Imperium as they are about, say, Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms or any of those other uh, D&D settings. So is Traveler available, I guess available is right, is there anything to be gained by a diving back in. Certainly some people have done it. Uh, you have Stars Without Numbers, you have the Cepheus Engine, uh, Cepheus Light, and so on, and these are all 2D6 uh, retro clones, if you will, that attempt to go back to earlier versions or earlier flavors of Traveler, although Cepheus uh, is more about the Mongoose Traveler, which came out and I'm going to mung this up, but it definitely came out in the late 80s, early 90s, if, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm in the car right now. Um, and I believe Stars Without Numbers is also mongoose-based. But here's the really fun part. You can actually get a free copy of the classic Traveler rules on DriveThruRPG. Uh, it's called the facsimile version, and what it is is Mark went scanned copies of the rules, filled in the uh, OCR scan, filled in a bunch of the errata. And so what you get are the rules as they stood circa 1981, 1982. Not necessarily the original, which had some very interesting generalizations and referee support. Even in the 81, 82 versions, you can definitely see where uh, scope creep and scale creep and uh, detail creep was already setting in. Anyway, that's probably more about Traveler than you wanted to know, but it's near and dear to my heart as I grabbed the 1977 rules to learn about them because that was the first RPG game that I had ever purchased by mail order or even uh, uh, just even going out and getting it. Um, I had had gotten the Holmes rules, but I'm a little vague in my memory as to if I purchased, I believe I purchased at a discount store. So definitely Traveler was my first uh, mail order experience. But anyway, um, I'm running 77 and I'm running it uh, with a Battlestar Galactica setting. So and having a good time with it. So uh, yeah, definitely Traveler is one of those games that's worth going back to the original rules so that you can get an idea of what the original designers were wanting and how you could take a very well-written set of general rules and use it as a toolbox to implement just about any sci-fi type of setting that you want. All right, that's it for me. We'll talk to you later and game on. Hello, Michael. Michael Shorten, Chicago Wiz the Dungeon Master's Handbook. I did do my best to avoid the whole what's the OSR discussion this year. It just seems to be inevitable, doesn't it? Thank you for that comprehensive traveller overview. There's not an awful lot I could add there. I am aware of Cepheus as 
uh, sort of OSR traveller, if you like. Although I was surprised to hear you mention Stars Without Number, as much like Kevin Crawford's other games, it runs on a BX-style chassis. But having said that, I'm not familiar with the direction that Mongoose took Traveller. Um, I guess Stars Without Number does take its cue from Traveller's sense of scope in that you can use it to run almost any kind of interplanetary science fiction game. Anyway, it certainly sounds like what you're doing with Traveller is very much in the spirit of the OSR, regardless of whatever category folks think it falls into. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for your message, Michael. Hey, Spencer. Happy, very belated birthday. <laughs> uh, my name's Alex Mandrake, and I'm a big fan of the show. One of your Collins, I think it was Merck, recently, was talking about, uh, you know, is the OSR just only D&D, or can it be other games? And it got me thinking, right? Uh, I think it uh, the fact that it is mostly D&D might have something to do with D&D's commercial success. Like, sure, Call of Cthulhu is successful, but D&D outpaces every other RPG in sales by, like, orders of magnitude, right? And when a game needs to be made for such a large audience as D&D does and needs to constantly sort of shift to be able to be consumable by that large audience, it can't really serve any niche, especially not a niche that it may have served like 40 years ago, right? So thus needing a design movement to fill that. Uh, or maybe it's that uh, there are so many more people playing D&D and a percentage of any RPG's audience is going to be interested in design. So by having the biggest audience, D&D has the biggest group of designers within it that are going to want to branch off into a movement like the OSR. Uh, yeah, like maybe there's a dozen people out there clamoring for uh, old school Cthulhu movement, but they, they just can't catch on because there aren't enough of them. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but yeah, just something I was thinking about. Anyway, hope you have a great day. Thank you, Lex. It's great that you called in and, and extremely cool to learn that you're a fan of the show because I'm certainly a fan of your output. The awesomely named Lex Mandrake is behind Dank Dungeons, creator of Azag, a Bronze Age sword and sorcery troika hack that has the good grace to cite fighting fantasy as an influence it comes with its own soundtrack created by lex i'm almost certain i've spoken about that on the podcast probably around the time of its release back in 2021 in fact i only recently picked up shifting city a system agnostic zine which again comes with its own nine track album which I'm ashamed to say I've yet to check out properly. All of Lex's stuff is available through Itch and Drive-Thru. There'll be links in the show notes, of course. Lex is also responsible for 5B, an OSR-like take on 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, in the same vein as Kelsey Dion's incredibly successful Shadow Dark, although it's considerably more concise and available for free on drive through As I say, thrilled to receive a message from you. Um, 
it wasn't actually Merck who asked the question, but Carl Rodriguez from the Geomologist Presents. But uh, we get a lot of folks passing through here. So I hope Carl can forgive you for that. But yes, an interesting take. As someone who's not been a consumer of Watsi material or TSR, to be fair, being much more interested in the output of smaller publishers, I'd not really considered that angle. Uh, I suppose it's more of a why than a what, but it's certainly a valid perspective. As for old school Cthulhu, there was a very successful Kickstarter to republish the second edition box set not so long ago. In fact, I'm currently playing through the first Cthulhu campaign, Shadow of yogg Sothoff, from 1981. We are using the 7th edition Pulp Cthulhu rules to run it, so I'm not sure whether that really qualifies as old school, and I'm sure there are probably some folks out there quite incensed to hear that we're taking such an approach. Anyway, don't have an awful lot to add there, but I certainly appreciate the call and very much look forward to hearing from you again in future, Lex. Thank you. So, no sooner had I published my last episode about Gus L's free content, I discovered via Ben Questing Beast Milton's newsletter, The Glattisant, that Gus has a brand new free adventure available on DriveThru, entitled Curse of the Ganshoger. Not entirely sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. G-A-N-S-H-O. Double G R Gan Sugar Sugar. Anyway, there'll be a link in the show notes. This is a grim fairy tale inspired hex crawl that includes a ten room dungeon written for Kill Jester's Errant RPG. Now, Errant, which I've certainly mentioned in the past, is an OSR slash NSR system that sells itself on being rules light but procedure heavy written by Ava Islam to address the fact that a lot of rules light OSR games are a little light on procedure and that's certainly something that I've noted. Gus's adventure is 15 pages beautifully illustrated throughout by Gus himself. I mean this is a very talented guy the adventure consists of a couple of locations, bunch of antagonists that are mostly varieties of waterfowl, duck, geese, swans, etc. It's set in Erin's forthcoming avian kingdom. Now, if that puts you off at all, it would be very easy to switch out the foes for something that might be more fitting with your own tastes, or whatever kind of world you're running. This is extremely evocatively written without being too verbose. In fact, what I'll do is read you the description on drive-thru. The Goose King squats in his great longhouse 
among verdant fields won by his ancestors. He feasts nightly on the most succulent turf, rich foreign wines and the finest lettuces. In the swampy dark outside, his kingdom crumbles and suffers. The great gander of the clay marshes, despoiler, land devourer, sword-blessed terror bird, maimer of champions, curse of the wrathful stars, has come again. The Ganshagar's scream rips the night in contemptuous accusation, sounding the Goose King's failure, the dawn of an age of ruin. Well, that's quite enough from me. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate all the messages I receive. If you'd like to contact me, you can leave an audio message via speakpipe.com slash keepofftheborderlands, or one word. Or you can email me at spencer.freethrall at gmail.com. You can also find me in a variety of other places, as detailed in the show notes. If you enjoy the show, a review would certainly be much appreciated. Music for Keep Off the Borderlands is provided by the multi-talented Mr. TJ Drennan. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ. Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.